Hope is the belief that the future will be better than today and that we have the power to make it so. You are listening to Champions for NorCal Kids, brought to you by First 5 Shasta, First 5 Tehama, KIXE Channel 9, and Expect More Tehama. I'm your co-host, Wendy Dickens, Executive Director, First 5 Shasta. And I'm your co-host, Heidi Mendenhall, Executive Director at First 5 Tehama. Please listen in as we highlight both the importance of and the amazing champions that work for the youngest members of our community. Our goal is to share the wealth of our community with our community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited. We have a very, very special guest, one that um, both Heidi and I kind of fan over. And um, it's Dr. Dr. Chan Hellman, and we're so excited to get to talk to him. Um, He's been here in our area doing some wonderful work around hope and helping us um, with our own journey and path as communities um, to infuse the hope science, um, which is really important that we talk about the science. So we're going to talk today with him. So we want to welcome you, Chan. um, Welcome, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. What an honor and what a great week out in uh, Shasta County. So thank you so much. Uh, it's always uh, exciting and what what a what a great week. I'm so so energized from uh, getting to spend time with such an amazing community. Oh, you're so gracious. I at the end of a long training week to say you're energized means that you are just a true. Um, I don't know, true champion for hope. I guess I don't know. <laughs> he is actually. Um, I mean, we. You know, people talk about hope, but I think when you speak about hope, it begins to really have a stronger influence on people's lives and a stronger understanding of what it really means around hope. So um, for the listeners who may not have had an opportunity to attend any of the pieces this week, um, which I was honored to be able to attend um, and speak next to you for a second um, uh, around hope, can you talk a little bit about what the science of hope is about and and then we'll talk a little bit about your journey and how you got here sure yeah wonderful thank you so yeah so hope is um kind of this interesting uh, idea and this interesting word because we typically use the word hope uh in a way where when you say the science of hope people kind of get a little bit uh, confused that maybe they heard you wrong and for, uh, for us, for the science of hope and what I've been doing for the last 15 years uh, as a professor, um, hope is the belief that the future will be better than today and that we have the power to make it so. So really hope is about this expectation that the future can be different. Um, and the idea that we have the power to make it so um, informs us that hope is about taking action to pursue that future. So when we go a little bit further, uh, we realize that hope is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's really a way of thinking. It's a mindset um, and it's a cognitive process. And the reason that's so important to learn and to understand is because if it's a way of thinking, we know we can teach it. We know it's, it's it's a strength and a skill uh, that like a muscle can be strengthened. And so we know that hope is based upon three basic ideas, and that is the ability to identify and set goals uh, for the future. And then more importantly, to be able to identify the pathways or the strategies 
Maybe we might think of them as the roadmaps we're going to use to pursue Ooh, those. I like that. Yeah. And then ultimately the willpower or the mental energy that we can dedicate towards those pathway pursuits. So that's that's a basic overview. I think it's So really is that important. what people start thinking when they take your class or when you first introduce the idea to them? Like where do people start thinking about hope typically? <laughs> yeah, it's really, you know, it's really this first piece where um, what I really do is I give them this definition and its major components. And then I really tackle it head on because you know, we think about the way we typically use the word hope, and um, I'm from Oklahoma, so one of the things, and very timely, uh, we'll say things like, I hope there are no tornadoes today, because uh, we just had some uh, in, in my uh, great state. And uh, while I have a lot of desire and a lot of willpower when storms come, uh, a lot of energy around their not being tornadoes, I have absolutely no control uh, over that process. And so we have to be able to distinguish hoping from wishing. Mm. And this is the part where people start to go, ah, okay. Because they come in thinking that we're gonna talk about this, uh, this idea of how to blow out candles on a cake. Uh, right, and that's not the same. It's not the it's same not at all. It's not the same, it's not the same. Wishing is passive towards the goal. Hope is about taking action to pursue yeah. the goal. That's the difference. That's and, awesome. And you know, I think I often hear optimism, I think, confused with hope too, right? Yeah, and that, yeah. that that wishing for something on the candle, you know, on the cake, I think that that gives a good image for that where it's, it's more. It's more yeah, than that. It is more. And it's more than optimism. Optimism is very similar yeah. uh, in that it is a future expectation, just like hope is. Um, but whereas optimism is the expectation that things will work out or that things will get better, there's really nothing to do about it. There's no strategy. And so, right. And that's the difference that that's the distinction. Yeah, I kind of used an analogy yesterday when I was talking with a group around the half glass full, half glass mm -hmm. empty. And that's more optimism, right? Like, do yeah. you have optimistic views on life? Do you think yeah. things will be good? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that that is important differentiation because people often confuse all of them and they use the words interchangeably, even though they're not truly interchangeable. Um, if you're really trying to be clear about what you're thinking and speaking around. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I love when you, you know, think about the three pieces that you named and, and the definition of hope through the lens of it being something that you have power over, right? And being something that you can learn because then we can break down and teach the skills. Right? And so whether yeah. we're teachers or social workers or parents or grandparents or neighbors or mentors, it's something that we can tangibly teach. I love the way that you've phrased that because you really highlight something that's really critical in that um, it's really something that's accessible to everybody. Right, it's not it's not a strategy or skill set that is restricted to somebody who has a you know a higher degree or specific certifications or or things. Although there's some important pathways that are available there, um, but it's really accessible to all of us. And you know that's really my perspective is that we all have a role to play in teaching and nurturing hope in our communities. 
I think that's so important as well, because I think a lot of times when we're talking about certain things, people believe that, oh, well, that's really for those who are in this area, or that's really for this person. Or, you know, we talk a lot about even for adversity and trauma, that there's no socioeconomic status that is, you know, going to be, you know, away from those issues. Um, it's going to touch everyone's life. The same is true for hope, right? Like it's the, you know, aces are not our destiny and hope is our answer. So I think really what we need to be thinking about is that this is good for all people, no matter what sector of the population you're in, no matter what your cultural background is, there is this ability to, you know, heal and have hope and, and be able to utilize some of the things that you talk about when you are, you know, explaining the science of hope and the fact that it's something we can teach and teach early on, you know, both Heidi and I are very committed to the zero to five realm, because we know that if you lay it, lay that very strong foundation, that those skills then begin to just get built upon instead of having to be built later. And that's true for hope as well. And, and I think if you can teach hope early on, you also have someone who is a little more tenacious and has the ability to have more resilience, push through things a little bit more because they have this different philosophy this different cognitive ability in life. Yeah, I, I actually love that. You know, the zero to five, zero to three, you know, those early uh, years of important developmental years uh, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, but when we're able to recognize that hope begins then, um, you know, that having a caregiver who can respond to your early goals or your early needs around nutrition, safety, et cetera, you know, creates um, a, a sense of stability, of consistency, uh, and it is how secure attachments obviously occur um, in, that, in that framework. So the absence of that environment is how, uh, from the very beginning, we can begin to be robbed by hope. Um, and so I, I love the connection between um, awareness of adversity and things like um, uh, ACE initiatives in communities and create that awareness and important, you know, framework for childhood. But as we become familiar with that and, and comfortable talking about it and our knowledge becomes increasingly better, we're always left with the question of now what do we do about it? And yeah. I, I think hope provides a framework for communities to respond uh, to ACEs. So something popped into my my mind that had a visual as you were talking about that. And I was talking about, I, I was imagining this um, caregiver, it was a, a woman, so maybe a mom, that they themselves had been robbed of hope when they were young, but that they were then planting the seeds with their young child. And I just like was imagining this parallel process. Like as you're trying to plant the seeds of hope and learning to articulate it, because it is something that can be learned and developed in a skill set that we could actually develop it in ourselves as we're trying to develop it in our young children. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a continuous process. And, you know, the, the idea that hope ebbs and flows in our life as we experience adversity, as our, as our own personal goals, you know, begin to experience barriers or, you know, important significant life events. Um, you know, I think it's pretty important to recognize that when, when hope is nurtured, especially early in those zero to five years, where we learn those important goal setting and problem solving, you know, it's a recognition, for instance, that children 
definitely need some adversity in their lives because it helps them learn problem solving and, and um, other things, as long as it's in that nurturing, safe, you know, kind of space. Um, but what a protective factor for the future, you know, and to build, um, you know, that resiliency, those skill sets um, to bounce back and, and to develop those coping mechanisms uh, in those adverse uh, spaces. And I just love uh, parenting programs, for instance, because, you know, as parents are learning things that they never knew um, and, you know, learning a little bit about uh, their own um, journey uh, in life and they begin to develop new pathways and, and goal setting and how they can pass that on. It's just another example of how hope begets hope. I love that. Ooh, talk more about that. That hope you get hope. <laughs> yeah, talk more about that. <laughs> love that. Yeah, so uh, hope begets hope is one of our guiding principles uh, when we train people on how to um, use hope as a framework. And it's really this idea that as I begin to uh, set the goals that I have, maybe as a parent or in my own life, and if I can create opportunities and strategies for early success in those first couple of steps that are necessary to pursue my goals, then what it communicates to me is that the future is possible. That is the goal is possible. Um, and what it does is it increases that willpower. And as willpower increases, we can fine tune those pathways uh, components. So that's a hope begets hope. But you know, also in this framework of a, of a parent um, learning new skills and gaining confidence and, um, you know, finding out that, you know, that, that uh, this adversity is not a life sentence, you know, uh, for instance, and then how they're able to pass those skills on is another example of not only uh, hope begets hope, but what we know that hope is a social gift, you know, that it is it is something that is shared and is built and nurtured in relationships. I love that part of connecting it to social gifts, because I think, you know, we talk a lot about when we're explaining um, adversity, how sometimes resilience needs to be built. Well, always um, you need to have connectivity, right? And we talk about social connections and how important they are, but really how you draw that importance in around how hope is then um, given as a gift. And that sometimes we don't even realize when we're doing something uh, that it's really about how we're promoting hope, you know, just being kind to somebody and knowing you're doing it purposefully, you know, is, you know, hope begets hope, right? You know, oh, going to a grocery store and, and witnessing a parent struggling with a child, but going in and, and having a few kind words to them and encouragement yeah. is, you know, one of those ways of connection. And then you are inspiring them um, to just continue on. And right. so sometimes you don't even realize those little gifts you're giving, um, but they're so important. And I think we often dismiss them. And we often, especially in this, you know, kind of world that we have. And I think there are pockets of our society that have gotten better about realizing we need each other. And we talk a lot about it, but there's still pockets in our society that are about the rugged individualist and the person who needs to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and just get on with it. And, you know, while you have a lot of, of grit inside of you and 
you can't do it by yourself. And you talk a little bit about that um, when you talk about hope and how hope begets hope and how that is a social gift. So can you talk a little bit more about that right now as well, Chan? Sure. So one of the things, um, you know, if we think about even in our own lives, I mean, each and every one of us have had really significant moments where things could have gone very different in, in our own lives. Um, and if we really spend time thinking about those uh, significant moments in time and what were some of the reasons we chose a path that has led us to where we are today as opposed to maybe a different path, um, I think it's almost always because there was some important individual in our life, um, you know, who, who kind of made all the difference or who believed in us or, um, you know, who uh, gave us some structure when we needed some structure. Um, and so we know from the science of hope uh, that uh, social connectedness is one of the strongest predictors of hope for children, for adults, and for families. And so you know, for instance, um, I, I'm just a huge fan of peer mentoring programs and social services, people with lived experiences, you know, who have been on the journey and have, um, you know, stubbed their toe in the journey, but have, have navigated through it, you know, that can help people see that um, I'm in a really dark space now, but, um, you know, a peer mentor is a light in that tunnel. Um, that we're, we're going through. I love that. In a little bit, like, so social connection is a predictor, social connection um, of the child, of the family, of both. Yeah, so, um, you know, hope doesn't happen in isolation. Um, mm -hmm. It happens in relationships. And so, you know, children who are given the message that they're seen, they matter, they're worthy of the future that's available to them, um, that, you know, they can um, go through a, a pathway pursuit with maybe a guide or a guidance force, a mentor or a role model um, or a loving parent, um, you know, who lets them choose those journeys, but, you know, is there to support and nurture them along the way. So Teacher. even like a little league pathway pursuit or a basket, right? Like it, it, the pathway pursuit doesn't necessarily need, need to be a lifetime goal, right? It can be small and yeah. very developmentally appropriate, but developing those skill sets then that will be there for you when you are at that lifetime kind of place. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You know, I, I, uh, one of the things that I try to talk about in the trainings is, you know, um, the families who are going to sit down uh, this weekend, for instance, and watch a movie together. Um, and let's say they're going to watch a children's movie. Um, I'll date myself. So we'll, we'll say Finding Nemo. And, you know, why not, why not take that movie and create this opportunity to, you know, pause, get, get a little popcorn or have a little conversation and talk about what are the goals of the main character of Nemo? What are the journey? What's the barriers that they're experiencing? And then more importantly, how are they overcoming those barriers? Because what you'll see in all of those children's movies is that the way the main character always overcomes the barriers is their friends. And it's just an example that hope is a social gift. So we can learn the importance of friends, but I think it's also a nice way to say, and you can be that source of hope for your friends. Um, so how do you, how do you think about 
nurturing hope. And there are really simple techniques that parents can use in that uh, early childhood space. I um, love that. Yeah. Cause so I have an eight and I was going to say four, she would correct me eight and five and Wendy has <laughs> teens, but I could see that. Morton. I know, right. I actually got corrected <laughs> yesterday. I said something about my four and she said, I'm five. Um, it's only, she's only been five for a week. I'm not that late. Um, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. She was calling herself not. five, three days ago. Before she was five, so. It did not matter. Mm, fine, fine. But that exact conversation that you just gave us the example of around finding Nemo, I could have with my five, my eight, you could have with your teens and they would get a little bit different. They would get, you know, we would extend the conversation based on what they were saying, but even my five-year-old, I'm going to be planting the seeds of vocabulary of these concepts, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and just, you know, obviously I'm going to point this out too, just the importance of, as a parent, you don't have to have a lot of knowledge and skill to sit down yeah. and watch the movie and talk about it, right? Like just pointing out like, oh, look at how good they're doing as you're doing that. And you yes. didn't have to have a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD in order to make that happen. You are perfectly capable as a parent and you just don't know that you have that skill sometimes or that that's what it's doing, that you're teaching your child just by having that conversation and not just sitting them there by themselves. You are watching Finding Nemo or whatever, you know, movie you want to watch with them and picking out the parts that you know are what you want to see your child understand better and have a conversation about that. And then, you know, that will and you might in. hear more from them. Like if we, if we were to do that, I guarantee you, I would learn about kids in their class that they either thought were hope helpers or thought were not. Yeah. <laughs> right? not I would friend. learn about that in that conversation. <laughs> right, right. You know, um, certainly movies are, are uh, a really simple strategy. Just, you know, the thing is, is that what we need to do is figure out these little helpful guides that we can give to parents. Like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, um, you know, there was a website or something that you could basically like, how do you, how do you watch a movie with your child and have a hope centered conversation? I love that. Let's do how it, do you, Heidi. How I do was you like, remember? are you telling us about your website? Do you already have it? <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm actually hoping you will do that. So I can <laughs> hope training yeah, right. We're doing it, Heidi. It's us. Yes, it <laughs> but it's a, I just it's ran a, across a podcast where they're using Disney movies to like dissect and think about like, I, I, well, now I'm gonna have to go back. I don't remember what they're talking about, but it's something and we could do that, but with hope. <laughs> yes. Really yes. Yeah. Take a, take a children's book and do the same thing, you know? So, um, you know, if you don't have access to some movies or, or, you know, maybe, you know, developmentally reading to children, we know is so powerful and important. And so why not give parents just these little helpful guides, you know, it's like, you can read this book, but you can also have a little bit of a conversation and nurture hope. I love that. We're going to do okay. five for five with you. And five for five is a lot like Renee Brown, which I know who, you know who she is. And she does like a, she does something on her podcast um, that is similar, but we do it because we're five for fives. And so we do it around also childhood and adults, you know, kind of like drawing the nexus and we do talk, read, sing, play basically. Um, so I'm going to let Heidi ask the first question. There's five questions. One of them each represents either talk, read, sing, or play about a time in your life when you were either an adult or a child. So the first is your favorite childhood book. 
My favorite childhood book. Uh, can you give me an age range that you want oh, to me to? Any of them. If three pop up, you can share three. But what what pops to your mind? Yeah. So the first one that pops to my mind uh, was in the eighth grade, which was The Hobbit. And oh. that, that uh, was such a powerful escape and magical journey uh, mm-hmm. for, for me. I just I just love that. So I have to share with you because I've shared it and Heidi's heard this before because someone else mentioned The Hobbit before, but I always read that every year to my children because my dad read it to me and I would try and like use different voices. Well, then you (laughs) run out of voices, right? And pretty soon the, you know, Gandalf was a Rastafarian and, you know, anyway, but my children just love telling the story because I sound like an idiot. And so they like that a lot. You sound like an amazing engaged mom, but you know, whatever. (laughs) But anyway, so The Hobbit is one that is very, very uh, dear to us as well. So I love that book. I I do have another one that pops in and Watership Down was such a, such an amazing powerful book for me as well. Um, I'm kind of ashamed to know I don't know that book. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. So I read it at about the same time. um, And Watership Down was about uh, this group of rabbits that lived in a warren. And there was a hierarchy in the rabbits. And one really small, weak, um, sort of ostracized rabbit had visions of the future and convinced a few of them that bad things were happening. And anyway, they, they escaped the Warren and uh, the Warren was destroyed. And it's just their journey to this greater place and how this group, small group of rabbits overcame tremendous adversity to create their own future. Um, I, I mean, yes, as an eighth grader, I can imagine that being incredibly powerful. I think that's an amazing book. I haven't read it either. I'm going to have to look it up as well. That's awesome. Yeah. On Netflix, there's actually, uh, uh, they've, they've, uh, it's a, like a four series, four episode series, uh, and they did a really good job and it's a, it's a cartoon and it's uh, family friendly. Um, you know, there's some really hard spaces in there, but it's real, real family friendly. So it's nice. Oh, awesome. I love it. All right. So then I'm going to ask you a little bit about what is your favorite kind of leadership book? Uh, My favorite leadership book. Um, I am going to tell you that I'm, I'm a huge fan of servant leadership um, and things uh, associated with that uh, basic idea that um, leaders are there to serve uh, the, the needs and the issues of the followers. Um, but <clears throat> one of my favorite books that have uh, really nothing to do with leadership that I actually learned a lot from, um, and I can't remember the title of it, but it was about this, um, you know, the, the recent conflicts or wars in Afghanistan. And it was um, kind of a you know, it wasn't fiction. Uh, it was it was a nonfiction book, and it was about a special uh, forces type operator. And whenever they would get into a conflict, the team members would uh, communicate with the the leader who wrote the book, and they're like, "Hey, we're running out of ammunition. We're doing this." And his his leadership response was always, "Deal with it." And I just love that because what it communicated was I have confidence in you. 
um, I will support you um, in that. And if it's the wrong answer, we will learn from it. And um, I just, I don't know, it's not what you asked, but it just- it, No, I, I think it's great. No, I think anything like that, because I think sometimes we don't consider certain books leadership, but they really show you what you can be doing to create a team value leadership, right? And I, I agree with you, like we need, I, as a leader, um, and I know Heidi feels the same because we've had conversations about it, but we value that as a servant leader, right? Like we really believe our role is to support and lead through example and helping and making sure people are where they're at. And that is by also developing teams and making sure teams feel supported and how that communication needs to happen is a big piece of how you create a good environment as a leader. So I love yeah. that. That's great. You, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm obviously everything in my life is about hope, but um <laughs> You know, to me, it's kind of influential in the way I think about the idea of collective hope. And, mm. you know, this idea of um, how does the team come together around a common goal and vision and this general sense that we as a team can achieve those goals um, and that we have that energy. And so when the leader says deal with it, you know, to me, it's uh, it's it is the essence of collective hope. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. More nuggets there to talk about, bring you back. Um, <laughs> okay, so question number three, what is your favorite childhood song? My favorite childhood uh, song. Um, so let's see. I was kind of, uh, say it'll have to be something by Sammy Hagar. Mm. Uh, you know, heavy metal or... Um, you know, something along those lines. Um, I can honestly I, say we have not had that shared before. So I like heavy metal as your favorite childhood song. I'm kind of a fan of the little red rocker, Sammy Hagar. So there you go. There that. you go. I love we'll it. see if any of your audience even knows that term. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what would you say would be your favorite music you listen to now? Or do you have a favorite song you're listening to now? Yeah, so uh, I am a Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam uh, fan. I, I love uh, that whole 90s Seattle um, sound, you know, um, Soundgarden, um, you know, Mother Love Bone. I just, uh, when, so the movie, cool. when the movie Singles came out, the, the movie didn't get much play, but oh my gosh, what a wonderful soundtrack. Um, <laughs> So, that's awesome i love that yeah. oh my gosh i i do have to tell you that when i write as a scientist i i'm i live in a publisher parish world and so i have to publish you know i have to write a lot and um i actually listen to uh, rob zombie and tool and uh, marilyn manson when i write and so that's your background that's like my news, background music, music. yeah so <laughs> Um, if my door shut and angry music's playing, you know, I'm writing. <laughs> oh, that's so, I'm so curious about the neuroscience of that. Like what's going on that it's, at, you know, it's pulling away parts of your brain. So the creative space can just come <laughs> forward. It can clear it out. <laughs> yeah. Are we doing brain scans on you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want to know. Um, Inquiring minds want to know. What's yeah. like I, I may get no more speaking invitations after that. <laughs> no, no. I think that's, that's awesome. Nice. I think it's true. You know what? When you say that, 
The same is true for certain types of surgeons, right? When they're doing surgery, they will often play different types of music and different surgeons want to hear different things in there. Some play classical, some play uh, much more heavy metal. Some, it, it just really depends on what is actually considered the thing that you need to listen to to help you concentrate yeah, in the right. moment. I right? love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, all right. Question number five, how do you play? What's your favorite way to play? Um, I love to read. I love, love to read fiction. So every night at eight o'clock, I turn off the TV, I turn off the computer, um, and I go read. Um, during COVID, um, I started to participate in sprint triathlons. So that is something that, um, um, when I'm doing it, I, uh, I, I can get kind of lost in that. Um, so, um, so right now that's, that's my two I sources. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I did. That's I did sprint triathlons a long, a, a long while ago. I, it's like my favorite, my favorite thing to get lost on the bike. <laughs> Me too. I, I love biking and swimming. I hate running, but I like biking and swimming. Um, I hyperventilate during the swim. It's something I worked towards. It's a goal I achieved, <laughs> but it's not my uh, it's not my happy space in my brain for sure. Yeah. So, do you remember the first time you got off a bike and started running? Uh, yes. And that you think it's not going to be any big deal at all. You're like, I got this. It's no problem. And all of a sudden, you're almost on the ground because <laughs> your, <laughs> your legs are like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you don't. Like You've been riding a bike for you know. That's awesome. Well, you got, that is, that's crazy. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Hellman. I know you prefer to be called Chan, but sometimes we just got to call it out. You are amazing and you um, have taught us so much right now about hope and just looking at hope and making sure that we are teaching hope and that it really is something that we need to be working on um, throughout life and developing and learning and um, just sharing and that hope begets hope and you know to the listeners thank you for being a part of this conversation and we welcome you to look up the book hope rising which we're going to have a conversation with him about on another podcast so please tune into that um, we will be putting in his bio all of the wonderful things that he has to offer as far as resources so please check that out as well so thank you very much for attending and listening thank you Champions for NorCal Kids is grateful for the continued sponsorship from KIXE Channel 9 and Expect More Tehama. Remember to like and subscribe to be notified for upcoming podcasts and visit our websites for any additional information, resources, or needs. They are listed in the podcast description. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Please plan to join us next time. Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make a difference in building resilience. Will you be that person?